0: Luke gives us the closing details in our text today of an amazing series of encounters that Peter and John had in the temple shortly after the day of Pentecost. Just to summarize them, it goes back to chapter 3, verse 1, and goes all the way nearly to the end of chapter 4. Responding to a lame man who sat daily at one of the temple gates having been delivered there by friends. Sat at the temple gates asking for money. They healed him instead. A man lame for 40 years since birth. Obviously the man was absolutely ecstatic. And all the commotion of this healing and what resulted from it gathered quite a crowd. We read about that in the first 10 verses of chapter 3. So Peter preached to them, explaining how this miracle was done in the name of Jesus, by by His authority, by His power, as John helped us see last Sunday. The miracle was done in the name of Jesus, whom they had delivered over to Pilate to be killed, But whom God had raised from the dead. That's verses 11 to 16 of chapter 3. Peter went on to say that all of this was foreknown and foreordained by God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel. Had foreordained all this. And they had killed the author of life, is the way Peter put it. They're at odds with God, and God made it clear that His will prevails. Christ was raised, and salvation was accomplished. And they needed to repent, therefore, and turn back that their sins against God might be blotted out. That's verses 17 through 26 of chapter 3. But Peter was interrupted in this sermon sermon that he was given. He was interrupted by the priests and the captain of the temple we see here, which is the captain of the temple police, second in charge there under the chief priest. And the Sadducees who were, quote, greatly annoyed because of the ruckus that they were stirring up and the resurrection that they were preaching. And they arrested them. But even so, many of those who had heard their preaching that day believed, Luke records, and now the number of men alone in this new covenant community came to about 5,000, he says, and that's the first four verses of chapter 4. Well, Peter and John bore witness again the next day to the power and authority of Jesus' name before the high priestly family confirming that Jesus, Jesus was indeed God's Messiah. In fact, Peter and John said to them, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pretty amazing statement about the exclusivity of Christianity. The only way to be reconciled to God is through the work of Jesus through the name of Christ, his power and his authority. Verses five through twelve of chapter four. Well the leaders wanted to silence them because there was this problem of the but there was this problem of the undeniable healing of this man who had been born lame. How do you silence people who are preaching about the meaning of a miracle That is undeniable and happened right in the presence of them all. To a man that they knew and had seen. So these leaders just charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's a strange thing to hear in the context of this story, isn't it? One of the reasons we're summarizing where we've come from. To get to the strangeness of that. These are the rulers of Israel. Telling the disciples who are preaching about the meaning of this miracle in the wake of all that Jesus has done in the wake of his resurrection and his ministry right here in Jerusalem right here at the temple charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus but then Peter and John answered them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't keep quiet about this. So the text records that the leaders threatened them further, and then let them go. Verses 13 through 22 of chapter 4, bringing us up to the threshold of our text this morning. So, what do they do next? What's the next thing that happens in this story after being detained and threatened by the religious authorities for preaching Jesus? Well, that's what we read today in verses 23 through 31. One of the most captivating narratives, I would say, in all of the book of Acts. Listen now to the Word of God. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. When they were released, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So reads the Word of God. This is a simple account, really, isn't it? Doesn't cover a lot of action. They just return from their atten- detention, they pray together remembering God's sovereign authority and grace and seeking Him to empower their work, then they enjoy the supernatural affirmation of His presence and power with them. That's the whole story. That's all that happens in this text today. But there are six elements here in these first few verses that are worthy of our attention, I believe. And then there are two more And the last verse that are worthy of our reflection. And that's where we'd like to spend our time today. Six elements that are worthy of our attention. And two more that are worthy of our reflection. And we're going to explore them under two headings. And those two headings are listed there in your bulletin this morning. First, when God's people pray. That's the bulk of this text. 23 through 30. And then God hears and answers. Verse 31. So really we're seeing a statement in this outline, when God's people pray, God hears and answers. We're dividing this text in two parts, very unevenly. And under this first part, we're going to look at these six elements that are worthy of our attention. And then we'll look at the final two as part of that final verse. When God's people pray. Verses 23 through 30. This was... Peter and John's initial response to the resistance that they faced being arrested by the temple leaders for preaching Jesus in explanation of this miracle. This was their initial response to the beginning of persecution which we see here now for the first time in the book of Acts. It will grow into a major theme. This is Peter and John's initial response to the pushback. You ready? Corporate prayer. This was Peter and John's initial response to the persecution that they could see beginning against the proclamation of Jesus in Jerusalem that would, by God's sovereign purpose, extend to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that's what this story is going to be about. And what is their response? To the persecution as it began? Corporate prayer. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God. This is the response that reveals hearts of true faith in the face of persecution. They lifted their voices together to God. That's central. That's our title this morning. That's what the church did as persecution arose. As we'll see, they were amazed at the opposition of their religious leaders to the Messiah. You'll see that in verses 25 and 26 here. They were seemingly disturbed by it. We get to pick up that implication from verse 27. But they were also struck by the irrepressible plan of the Sovereign Lord to whom they called out. And that's given to us in amazing language in verse 28. We'll get there. Yet their mode of expressing all of this, all that we've listed, It's corporate prayer all of this comes to us as the content of their prayer together with the body of Christ this was their immediate response and so we have to pause here for just a moment already and ask is that true of us is that true of you is that true of me is that is that our initial response to hardship of any sort and Here, I think from the very beginning, we need to recognize that the context is talking about persecution, opposition to the proclamation of the gospel. But there's something about this that also renders this passage usable to those who are facing persecution of any sort. Like like what James talks about, count it all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. There's a There's an opposition to the faith that's being referenced there, but as we see moving through the letter of James, there are a number of different forms of pushback and persecution that come at us in this fallen world and hit us uniquely because of our faith in Christ. Is it our immediate response to call out to God in prayer with the body of Christ in the face of such hardship? The face of such struggle. The face of persecution. Here. Is that true of us? Is our response to the surprising setbacks. To the stunning escapes. The impending persecutions of this life. Is it to gather together immediately in corporate prayer? It's a good question. I am so pleased watching this body respond to one another's needs at such times as these. Such times as we're experiencing together as a body of Christ right now. That is such a blessing. And I've said that many times. But I must also say that I don't believe I'm equally encouraged. In this area. That's spotlighted in Acts 4. I don't believe I see us responding to such times with just a hunger, a pressing need, a passion for corporate prayer. To come together with the body of Christ and pray. I don't want that to sound like a rebuke. Because it isn't one. This whole process of learning to pray and especially at times of intense need, that's a discipline, that's a growth, that's a development among the body of Christ and It's one we have to develop into. So the question is, are we developing into it? I don't want it to sound then like a rebuke so much as just like an observation, a perception, but one that's been tested over time and a plurality of experiences and circumstances. I don't see this body seizing upon opportunities for corporate prayer, lapping them up in the presence of times like this. Anyone who attended our old Wednesday p.m. prayer meeting can see that. The same is true for our new Sunday p.m. prayer service. We have sweet and meaningful times of corporate prayer together. But they are enjoyed by a very small percentage of this body. I know there are numerous other times of corporate prayer for us in ABFs, in flocks, in small group gatherings, sometimes planned, sometimes spontaneous. I'm grateful for all of that. That's why I don't want it to sound like a rebuke. But Sunday p.m. is one opportunity for focused, extended, unrivaled time in prayer. Corporate prayer. And I yearn for more of this body to hunger and thirst after that time. The elders yearn and pray for this body to hunger and thirst more for that time. That's the first element that's worth our attention and reflection this morning. Just the initial response of Peter and John and the community to the, per- to the persecution that they faced. And I think the primary reason why this group here was so drawn to corporate prayer was because they, they had no shadow of doubt at all about who they were talking to. And that's element number two. No shadow of doubt at all about who they were talking to. They were addressing, verse 24, the sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and everything in them. They were talking to the God of all creation the one being in all of the universe who could actually make a difference in the present circumstances that they were facing. They were speaking to the gracious and merciful Father who had just sent His Son to pay for the penalty of their sin, and then His Spirit sent to empower them to walk in a manner worthy of that great salvation. That's who they were talking to. They were talking to the Sovereign Lord Himself. And they had no doubt about that. And what they noted from Scripture about this Sovereign Lord was that it's fruitless to oppose Him. Element number three. It's fruitless to oppose Him. It just doesn't work. It won't pay off. It's utterly foolish and wasted effort. From the text of the familiar messianic psalm, Psalm 2, that's quoted here in verses 25 and 26. This is the gist of the quote. This is what the text from Psalm 2 is telling us. The sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth will not be trifled with. Conspiring against him is not going to work for those conspirators. Psalm 2 goes on to say in verse 4 that God laughs at those efforts. As though those who pursue them think something might be accomplished by it. He laughs at the foolishness of it all. And then he goes on to do all that he pleases. Psalm 2 talks about. Who would ever be foolish enough to conspire against a God like this? That's who they're calling out to in prayer. They know he's the sovereign Lord. But they know from Scripture That not only is it the inclination of the human heart to band together in rebellion against the authority, the name of the Lord, but Scripture itself reveals the emptiness of that pursuit. The Word of God will prove true. Meaning that there are many who are foolish enough to do this, but... The word of God will prove true. Element number four. that's worth our attention. And Peter and John have just met some of those. Who were willing to conspire against the Lord. And against his anointed. So I had such a dramatic passage to come to mind at this time. For the young church. To recognize what's happening here. Peter and John have just met some of those. Who are willing to conspire against them. And they were the priests. And the captain of the temple. And the Sadducees we see in verse 1. They were Israel's rulers. And the elders and the scribes. Verse 5. The poet wrote in Psalm 2. That the Gentiles. The peoples. And the kings of the earth and the rulers will conspire to oppose God and His Anointed One. And that's just what this growing church is experiencing right here in Jerusalem. Of this day. They're seeing that come about. They witnessed the conspiracy up close and personal. Right there in the temple. And it was kind of surprising to them who was involved in it. Although by now, maybe not so surprising. And there's a subtlety here that's worth noting in the quoting of Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Posing a question, and it sounds like the the synonymous parallelism that's familiar from Hebrew poetry, like the nations and the peoples are two different references to one and the same thing. One and the same group. But what we see here in Acts 4 is a bit different than that. Luke records here in verse 25, why did the Gentiles rage? Just choosing a different translation there. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? Then he returns to that word, the peoples, there in verse 27 and assigns it to Israel. So it's not just synonymous parallelism. Why did the nations rage And why do God's people plot in vain? Jesus' own people, the covenant people of Israel have joined in the conspiracy against Him as Messiah, against Him as God's anointed. And His people are responding to that in prayer. Reflecting on that in prayer. this This is like the words that John spoke in the... Prelogue to the Gospel of John, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. This shows us now, by this reflection, this prayer in Acts 4, that the opposition of the Jews was already anticipated all the way back in Psalm 2. That's worth noting as we see the response of the early church here. And even with this conspiracy, the sovereignty of God prevailed. That's element number five worth noting. Even with this conspiracy, the sovereignty of God prevailed. In their evil intent, they were only able, verse 28, and listen to this language, even in their evil intent, they were only able to do whatever His hand and His plan had predestined to take place. Why is it an empty pursuit? Because God is going to accomplish His will and plan and purpose regardless of the opposition that He faces. And if it's needful to fold the opposition into the fulfillment of His purpose and plan, He is perfectly capable as a sovereign God over all creation to do just that. Reference has been made a couple of times in the last couple of weeks to that amazing statement from the high priest in John chapter 11. Where at the critical moment as they're deciding what to do with Jesus, Caiaphas says, it's better for one man to die for the nation than for the whole nation to die. Believing that he's speaking sage wisdom and saying, boy, let's put Jesus to death because if we don't, all of Israel is going to catch it in the neck from Rome. John even records there that he didn't even realize that he had spoken prophetically and that in his evil intent he had come into perfect alignment with the plan and purpose of God. Namely, it is indeed better that one man die for the nation than that all die because in that one man's death is reconciliation to God. And the greatness of this God to whom they pray is demonstrated in the fact that despite the evil intent of the conspirators, they were only able to do whatever his hand and his plan had predestined to take place. How do you beat that? Why would you ever want to try to beat that? It's our salvation that's being accomplished. Reconciliation with God that's being worked against as we reject the one who's been promised by God. And why would we ever try to bypass an opportunity to call out to God like this together with all those whom He has saved by this means? Finally, the sixth element worth our attention here. Even though this group must have felt uneasy about these religious leaders, about their relationship with them, these leaders whom God had allowed to kill Jesus, I think that might strike some fear into the hearts of the church. We can think, well, of course they called out to God in prayer. They're facing opposition. But we're talking about threats from those who had just put Jesus to death. Is your confidence so strong in the resurrection that you say... You can kill the body, but you can't kill the soul. Go ahead, if you must. Put me to death. For I know, even though it has not yet been written, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's an amazing confidence, isn't it? They had to have felt uneasy about their disposition before. These religious leaders whom God had allowed to put Jesus to death. And yet their request was not for these leaders to back off or back down. That's not what they prayed for here. They weren't asking, God, please put an end to this persecution. Silence the threats of the religious leaders. We find those fearful. That's not what they prayed for. They did not ask God to cause the leaders to back off or back down. They just... Ask God to take note of their threats. That sounds like the Psalms, doesn't it? Take note of their threats. Look upon them, verse 29. Don't miss what they're doing, God. I don't know how that fits into your plan and purpose. I don't know what you intend to do with them. I understand the justice that we were talking about a little bit earlier this morning. I know divine justice will roll down from heaven. You can almost hear them saying, we don't know what to do with that. But just take note of what they're doing. Notice it. Then they asked Him to grant them the power to continue to speak His Word with all boldness, verse 29. While He continues to perform whatever healings and signs and wonders He chooses to perform through the name of His holy servant Jesus, verse 30. Isn't that interesting? They're not asking for signs and wonders. What they're asking for here is is boldness and witness. Essentially what they're saying is, Lord, please don't ignore what the religious leaders are doing. Take note of it. And please don't stop what you're doing. Please keep doing it. But their actual request was please keep empowering us to do what we're doing. Please keep empowering us to be your witnesses to the very end of the earth. In the language of chapter 1. This is God's people calling out to Him in prayer. And saying, it's not our responsibility, these religious leaders. It's not up to us, these signs and wonders and miracles and healings. Lord, watch them. Just keep doing what you're doing. And empower us to keep doing what we're doing. Empower us with boldness in the proclamation of your gospel. This is the young church saying to God at an hour of trial not our will but yours be done. This is what God's people prayed together when opposition arose. Two things happened next. One immediately and the other, it would seem, in the days ahead. And here we move into verse 31. God hears and answers. And the last two things now that are worthy of our reflection. The first is even hard to know how to talk about. It was a familiar sign It's one that we've seen a number of times throughout the story of redemption. Throughout the story of God's relationship with His covenant people. But even though it's familiar, you could never get used to it. First of all, it didn't happen often enough, at least according to recorded Scripture, for His people to get used to it. But even if it happened more frequently, I don't think you would ever get used to this. Verse 31 And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. That's an amazing demonstration, isn't it? Would you love to have been there that evening? God had done this before. He'd given unmistakable evidence of His presence with His people, of His power. For instance, He shook Mount Sinai. When he came down to give the law to Moses, Exodus 19, the whole mountain trembled, the text says. He shook the foundations of the thresholds of the temple when he called Isaiah. Do you remember the vision, Isaiah 6? Perhaps even the conversion of Isaiah, not just the call. Foundations of the thresholds of the temple shook. He promised through the prophet Haggai to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and the nations. In order to fill his temple with glory, the text says there. And then one we can forget about because only Matthew records it. At the moment Jesus died on the cross... Matthew records the earth shook and the rocks were split. This is the God of all creation proving his presence with his people and his power to do as he wills. So now here, now here, God responds to the prayers of his people by shaking the place where they were gathered together text says I believe this is just God saying to them I'm here I'm here and by the way you're talking to the right person what an amazing reality though we see manifestations of the presence and power of God in our day It's a different matter entirely to read them on the pages of Scripture. Do you remember the day we were dedicating the gym? We were meeting there for that service? And the image we'd used for the building of that gym was, Lord send the rain, all we can do is prepare the fields, but you send the rain to bring fruit. And so we were gathered in the gym and we were praying and we used that image, Lord, send the rain. Do you remember how it rained so loudly we had to stop for a moment because we couldn't hear each other. That happened. Is that one of these demonstrations? Who sends the rain? I I don't know how to answer that other than to say we were asking, and I believe that day God was answering. We've seen that on several occasions. Those are sweet times. They're memorable times. In our day, we don't know exactly what to do with them often. Because we start to wrestle with them theologically. But here, here, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 31, there's no doubt. There's no doubt what happened. This is God answering His people and saying, I'm here, and you're talking to the right person. That's what happened immediately as the people gathered together at this time, at this moment, to pray. And the thing that seems to have happened in the following days was was the actual direct answer to their prayer requests from a little bit earlier. Verse 31 goes on to say, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. (laughs) That almost seems like a a passing line, doesn't it? Just sort of a finishing transitional line. You read it, you read it with half a mind, you move on to the next vignette that starts up. Something exciting has happened. We've gotten down through all of the detail to the bottom line and, and then we move on. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity who had only recently been poured out on the church and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. That's in the face of the opposition that had just been spoken to them by those who put Jesus to death. This is no small matter. In fact, I don't think there's anything less dramatic in the close of verse 31 than there was to the opening of it. Both of them, a manifestation of God's active presence and power with His people. This isn't describing a repeat of Pentecost here, but a fresh empowering by the Holy Spirit for the task at hand. Just like they'd asked. They wanted to continue speaking with boldness even though they had now heard opposition. God's Word says they were given that very boldness that they sought. God was not only with them in their prayer room, but He was going to go with them into their mission field. And He kept answering prayer even there. Jesus had told them that this was coming again from the Gospel of John. Whatever you ask in My name, Jesus said to His disciples on the very night that He was arrested, whatever you ask in My name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And my friends, that's what's happening here. This is what it looks like. Praying in the name of Jesus. Praying in accord with God's purpose and plan. When we do that, He hears and answers in a way that just impels us to keep coming back to Him. And to keep asking, do we have that experience together? It's the body of Christ. Where we're impelled Into those times of corporate prayer. Because God is there. In presence and power with his people. This passage just fires the imagination of God's people. To see what might happen when they pray. It has fired the imagination of God's people throughout the history of the church. Since it was written. Since it was experienced. What might happen as we pray for boldness. In our witness. What might happen? What might happen today? These days. Our days. If we call out to God together. Just like this. For boldness in our witness. What all comes along with that boldness? To undergird and establish. And solidify that boldness. What might happen? Are we willing just to try and see? See how God might answer such a request as this? Not even stretching it beyond this to other forms of trials and hardships yet, but just right here with the early church praying for boldness and witness. Are we willing to just give that a try? Or is this one of those instances where we may not really want to ask Because we're concerned that God might actually answer this one. And truth be told, we're not really all that sure that we want to be a a bold witness. Not like this, preaching in the streets of Jerusalem, preaching in the temple gates. Really? I'm not sure about that. I mean, the responsibility of that, the the stigma, the vulnerability. Is it possible that this is a request we really don't want to offer together? I think we have to ask ourselves that question. As we're moved by the experience of the early church who called out to God in times of need and the place was shaken. Shaken. I understand the fear that can be struck in our hearts by that request. But I would say, God, help us to ask. Help us to ask. Help us just to be willing to ask for boldness in our pursuit of the Great Commission. Our obedience to the Great Commission. This is the charge of the church. And the church is asking God for boldness in the pursuit of it. God, help us to ask. Just help us. To ask, help us to ask and then receive the answer that you give. This isn't calling out for some kind of supernatural manifestation beyond just the presence of God with His people. All of that is in God's hands. We've seen it from their prayer here. And the opposition that comes up, that's in His hands as well. Do we want the boldness? Do we the Word of God, the truth of God, the Gospel of God, above all else, above all ideology, an alternative pursuit of power in this world? Help us to ask. Help us to ask for boldness as we meet persecution, as we meet opposition, trials of various kinds. God, help us to ask and help us to long for times of corporate prayer together where we ask. Recognizing the unique opportunity our Father affords us to fellowship with Him and with one another in the asking. Two quick questions as we close this morning then I want to offer you a season of silence to respond to God's Word in prayer. I think it's best for us to respond in silence this morning where each of us has the opportunity to wrestle with whatever the Word of God kicks up this morning. So two quick questions, then a season of silent prayer to respond to God's Word. Question number one, would you have wanted to be present at this prayer meeting described here in Acts 4? to experience the time of prayer with them, and then God's response. Would you really want to have been present that evening to experience that with them? I don't even want to insinuate an answer either direction. But we know how this text has hit us in the past. So would you want to have been present at this prayer meeting described here in Acts 4 to experience the time of prayer with them And then God's response. Second question. Do you think the Sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them will be any less present with us when we gather together for our prayer service this evening? Any less powerful? Any less willing to hear and answer our prayers? Do you think that the Sovereign Lord will be any less present as His people gather in His name today? Especially just to seek His boldness in the fulfillment of the primary purpose that He has set before us in this day. Do you think He will be any less present? Any less powerful? With these questions in mind, let's now close with a season of silent prayer. Just responding to God, and in a few moments, I will lead us in a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, it is our yearning to be a people of prayer. We all truly understand that that is the power source for the Christian life. Communion and fellowship with you in prayer is the completion of the communication cycle. You speak to us through your word, by your Spirit. And we respond to you in prayer. And in communication, we find the strength of every growing relationship. We yearn to be a people of prayer. So Father, collectively, on behalf of this body, I ask, I ask right now that you would make us a people of prayer. I confess my own weakness in this area. The struggles that each of us could list in our own words, but that each of us knows I know those struggles myself. And so I ask, not as one who has mastered these things, but as one who yearns after them and can see from the very page of Scripture the importance that it plays in the life of the church. Father, how tragic if we are so attentive to one another's need and yet less attentive to your own heart than we should be or could be or would be blessed to be. Oh Lord, help us to walk out of this room this morning with no heaviness other than the one placed upon us by Your Spirit through Your Word. Father, I don't want the frailties of the wordings of my own challenges this morning to ring stronger in the ears of anyone present then Your Word rings as a tool of Your Spirit. But Heavenly Father, I pray that You would cause us to grow in this central most of spiritual disciplines. And that we might grow together as a body in our exercise of it. And I pray, just to get us started, that You would grant us A boldness in witness that reveals a depth of relationship with you in prayer and in your word. In Jesus' name we pray.